Do you want me to play the intro music? Oh, yeah, yeah, play the intro music. Okay. <laughs> Warm me up here. Okay, here we go. Welcome to Double Cuzzies, where two people who share 25% of their DNA and their entire extended families talk about life. Well, this week we have a special guest. It is a bro cousin because it is my brother, Michael, which also means he is Emily's cousin, Michael. My double cousin, <laughs> Double Emily's double cousin, Michael. We're very excited to have him. We'll get into the topic in a little bit. He has some expertise in the medium that we're talking about, but Michael has a, a double cousin's example, so I'm going to let him take it away. I've got an example for you. Double cousins. It's like if Leia and Luke Skywalker married Mia and Dom Toretto and had kids. Hmm. I don't know who this is. I don't know work? who the second I don't know who the second one is. You don't know who Mia and Dom Toretto are? No. From the Fast and Furious movies? Oh, <laughs> is that... That's oh, Vin Diesel. They are brother and sister. Of course, of course. The e- yeah. equally famous yeah. uh, fictional siblings, wow. as Luke, Luke and Leia. That's Skywalker. a good one. That's a good one. And 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 proof for our listeners that, as Kalia said, you have some expertise in the medium that we're about. Yeah, to I'm just use. trying to give you examples. You know, now you can use yeah. use fictional couplings. Yeah, yeah. For oh, your intro, it really expands. Yeah. It really expands the metaverse of siblings that we can use then. Right. Yeah. My real world example was going to be double cousins. It's like if Penny and Gary Marshall married Rob and Annie Reiner and had kids. Oh, that's a good one too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> also very on theme. Yes. <laughs> do the Fast and Furious brother and sister, do they know their brother and sister in the franchise though? <laughs> Oh, they do. Yeah. Okay. It's not it's like not, some it's not forbidden gross love thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. It's not like a siblings or dating situation. It's like yeah. straight up siblings. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, the example wasn't that they marry each other, Kalia. <laughs> the brother just, and sister marry just... each other. <laughs> yeah, that'd be like if you guys married each other. Yeah. Although you that are the or, although the... you are the godparents to our kids, so if that would be a little complicated to be co-parenting with your sibling hmm. Hmm. double godparents oh double godparents yeah yeah double dogs another that's a, a whole different <laughs> podcast after yeah all. we'll start that one up to you i guess but for this one so we're not going to be talking about the fast and the furious see, franchise see not Bye. for this episode anyways that will be an anthology that we will do later on <laughs> but for this week we are going to be talking about everything everywhere all at once or all of the things and all of the places. All over the place. All over the place. What are some of Everywhere. the other titles? It was like. All the things. All of, all of the things. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but you guys know what we mean because if you're listening to this, you should have watched the movie. If not, you should stop and run to a theater and see the movie so we don't spoil it for you. It's very, very good. Yeah, it's a fantastic film. And some of us have seen it multiple times i've seen it twice michael how many times have you seen it 
I saw it a third time like an hour ago. An hour ago? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you've got the freshest memory balls. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, did, you, did you see it again, Em? No, I haven't. So I have the least... The least watching of it, but I'm hoping that my the strength of my movie memory helps me out here. So, should we get into it? Yeah. I guess we should, before we get too far, we should mention that we don't have Michael on because he loves Fast and the Furious. It's because he, he watches a lot of movies and really loves movies. And I think out of anybody I know, you you follow movies and and know the most about them. To give our listeners a snapshot, are there any like... I know there was one year that you tracked the number of movies you saw. Have you have you beat that record or what's your track record been like lately? I'm, I've always kept track of all the movies that I watch, <laughs> but I think, I mean, for fairly obvious reasons, the past couple of years haven't been as productive movie watching wise. I mean, I used, there was a point when I was going to the movie theater almost every day Damn. and I've watched, you know, over, <laughs> you worked there. over 300 movies <laughs> in, in a year and like maybe go to the theater like a hundred times in a year is insane. But I mean, that's kind of winded down a little bit now that mm-hmm. theaters have gone out of business or, you know, there's fewer things, fewer new movies coming out. I, I, I'm glad to see that there's a lot more new stuff coming out. And I think that was part of the reason why I was so excited to see this movie is that mm-hmm. it seemed like a kind of homecoming for big weird action movies big weird yeah. entertaining movies so that you need that, to have that was exciting to see on a big screen to really appreciate fully too like that movie yeah experience. i think so for yeah. sure i mean this isn't something you can watch on a phone no and i mean i think that there's part of it too of of the sort of lack of full accessibility and like streaming of it right now because like for myself like, i can't i want to go rewatch this but i can't just watch it like and if i if i do go watch it i have to go and sit down in a theater and watch it. It's not like I can have it playing in the background and doing stuff and running around. So yeah, I think it's, it's definitely, it's part of me is like, Oh, now I have to actually go to the theaters. And then part of me is like, okay, no, I understand that this is part of the experience is that it's how you ingest content is important too. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Before seeing this movie, how much about it, the plot, the premise did each of you know, and Kind of what was your, related to that, what was your experience seeing that and kind of the takeaways? Like, were you surprised? Is it what you expected? Or what was that experience? <laughs> yeah, like so you? Michael asked me that question right when I got to the theater, actually. He, mm-hmm. he was like, how much do you know about this movie? And I was like, I know that it is a multiverse movie with Michelle Yeoh. And I stopped reading anything after that because I wanted to sort of not spoil anything for myself. So that that's all of the expectation that I had was going in. Yeah, I think that's kind of all you all you need to know going in mm-hmm. into it. And I think that should be enough to tip you off as to whether it's something that would be on your wavelength. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you need to? Do we need to give a plot summary? No, no, not a plot summary. Just like general expectations or what you kind of prepared yourself going into. Because I had seen the preview. And I knew it was like, I, I hadn't been able to peg like the genre from the preview because there's so much going on. So I was like, I'm not sure if it's action or if it's more of like a kung fu movie or if it's like a dramatic family story. So I had no idea what the mix would be, but I was uh, delightfully surprised by it, <laughs> that it was very well done, the flow of it, the mix of everything. So, but I think, yeah, it's, if you don't know what to expect, I think that could be a good thing. Just go into it with an open mind and you now hopefully 
some of the themes and some of the characters and everything resonates with you because I think it did did with us in different ways, which I'm excited to discuss. Um, so I guess with that in mind, any specific ways that the movie sat with you or, you know, over time, especially seeing it multiple times, any specific themes or characters or, you know, plot lines, I guess just in general, what did the movie, you know, how did it sit with you and what did it make you feel or think about, if anything specific? Yeah, I think because I didn't have any expectations really going into it, you know, Kayla, you outlined all of the different things that you thought that the movie maybe was going into it. And then it was all of those things, you know, it was like five (laughs) different movies all at the same time. And so I did not know that it was going to be so much about a a mother and a daughter. And I didn't know that so much it was going to be about that immigrant and first generation American experience and sort of the, the relationship, that dynamic between that. So that was really surprising to me. And I think that, you know, when that when it was revealed, I was like, oh, it's it's the daughter who's sort of the agent of chaos <laughs> that I felt very much like I can understand that. Like I can feel that because I feel like the podcast that we've been doing and these discussions that we've been having, it's sort of like, you know, oh, millennials having these discussions about crazy things. And, and it's something that like previous generations maybe aren't didn't do. And, you know, I pulled my mom into in letting me interview her. And so I feel like I'm kind of pulling her into my chaos. But I, I think that, like, I definitely related to that tension. And I definitely saw in, you know, Michelle Yeoh's character just the sacrifice, you know, the sacrifice of self for her family and starting a new life in the country. And so I think that was that was really um, impactful for me. So you, you related to Joy, who is Michelle Yeoh's character's daughter. Yeah, I would say I related to both of them. (laughs) Yeah. And and to that, you related to that relationship between those two characters then too. Yes, definitely. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, because I I had kind of a a weak theory that Joy, the the daughter character in it, is maybe the the protagonist of the movie. Mm -hmm. And this is based only entirely on the fact that the grandfather is named Gungun. In the mm-hmm. credits, they name him Gung Gung, mm-hmm. which makes me feel like mm-hmm. a lot of the movie is probably from the perspective of the daughter. Of Joy. Yeah. yeah. Even though she's not, mm-hmm. I mean, Michelle Yeoh is in like every single scene in the movie, but part of me suspects that the perspective of the writers and the directors and the filmmakers might be more focused on Joy, the daughter, than the movie might give her screen time. I, I don't know. That's just mm-hmm. the feeling that I had. Yeah. Or maybe it's a nod to the fact that Joy created all of this. Yeah, she's kind of the instigating agent for for everything in in the movie. Like everything that Michelle Yeoh's character, Evelyn, went went through was something that was created by her, by Joy, by her daughter. Right. (laughs) To help her see herself, maybe. Yeah, or that Joy is trying to draw Evelyn, her mother, into. But yeah, I I think that makes sense. Because I think for me... My feeling of the general themes of the movie was that it's primarily about empathy. And I think you can see a lot of that in the relationship between Joy and Evelyn. It's, you know, from the beginning of the movie, that Joy's character clearly has some sort of trauma or pain that she's going through that she can't get her mother to understand. Mm -hmm. And over the course of the movie, I think Evelyn, the Michelle Yeoh's character, comes to realize 
how she can relate to her daughter and why that's important and how that enriches both of their lives. But I think you get that same kind of dynamic from all, all the all the family members in the movie, this mm-hmm. sense of trying to understand and accept and support other people's perspectives mm-hmm. and especially people who are close to you yeah. and not and not trying to change them either mm-hmm. right right yeah i think that comes through the most through evelyn's character because it's her seeing joy and then there's a i mean a significant part of the end where she sees wayman too in the way that he treats people with kindness and understanding mm-hmm. like the end action sequence is her kind of like helping everybody out of you know, by by realizing these are the traits that they need to be seen for. And, like, I, I thought that was a really cool end kung fu sequence. But I think you see that kind of, like, mental evolution with her. And even though, like, um, you know, Joy is working through a lot, too, and Evelyn understands her in the end, it's kind of like this awakening in relation to all of her family members for Evelyn, that really stood out to me as kind of, you know, one of the main themes and just something that I seen saw as super relatable too. I mean, just kind of like taking the time to fully see people. And then, you know, it's one thing to do that, but also then to be able to, you know, communicate it in a, an effective way, like she does at the end with the daughter. So I thought that was a, a really rich character development on Evelyn's part throughout the movie. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things watching it a third time too is that those themes were reinforced, obviously watching it again, but part of me realized that those themes aren't entirely what the movie is about. I think you can watch the movie just as a piece of entertainment and not even mm-hmm. pay attention mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. any of those themes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they're there and they're pretty obvious. They don't try to it's not subtle really what what the movie's that the movie's about yeah. family and about interpersonal relationships and generational interactions and relationships there too like that's not subtle but the thing that stood out to me watching it again is that none of those themes are are really asian or asian american specific like i you know i I think there there are culturally specific generational details Mm -hmm. to those relationships but overall i think those themes are, are very very universal yeah it's not something that you know only uh an asian or an asian american audience would relate to i think that's something that everybody can relate to mm-hmm. yeah definitely and i think it's, it's similar to like our, when we were discussing turning red of that it's not a specifically asian story but setting it in something so specific makes it feel so much richer right as opposed to watering it down or making it some sort of more generically or mainstream theming and I think also, even though it's not overtly Asian, the fact that it's very much, and I don't know which, which came first, right, is that it's, is it a kung fu movie? Because it's, because that is also fitting with Michelle Yeoh, first of all, and then also that it's Chinese and Chinese American. But if you had it in a different culture, would you still have it as a kung mm-hmm. fu movie? Or it would be a very different type of action movie? Would it still be an action movie? Would it still feel as, I guess, you know, embedded within the kung fu genre or action genre if it wasn't so Mm. i think that there are things that by setting it in the culture that they do they're able to pull from a lot more cultural sources Mm. because i think the dynamic too of the the things that she sees in her life that she could have been if she had stayed in china versus coming to the u.s i think that's probably something that very much immigrants children of immigrants 
which is really everybody can relate to of, of thinking about that life, these major changes that are these major decision points in your life and, and how different things could have gone one way or the other. So that washed over me quite a bit. And I think it was because I've been in this headspace of thinking of like, Oh, what was I like as a kid? And like all these different Mm -hmm. things. And, and then thinking about my parents and like what their life was like and the choices that they made and the things that they gave up. And then sitting there in the theater Watching it with them <laughs> was quite the experience, mm-hmm. too. I think when, when you and I saw it, Em, I had mentioned to you that in, in one of your previous podcast episodes, I think the episode about, about travel, you had told a story about how you were in China. I think I might be getting the details wrong yeah. here. I think you were, had gone back to the, the village or the town that Grandpa had, his family was from, and that you were in a, a factory and you, you saw somebody working there who was like your almost exact age yeah. and rem- reminded you of yourself so much that you thought that that could have been you and another another life. And I, I think that's the kind of thing where it's like a concrete example of this is how things could be mm-hmm. and not necessarily, but I think this is, this is the way that things change based on choices that you make and choices mm-hmm. that your parents and your ancestors make mm-hmm. to, on your behalf without, without knowing how that might, might play out down the line. Right. right. So, I, you know, I think that it, it, to me was an interesting portrayal of this multiverse trope this like weird sci-fi thing, but I think it does have like a, a real world application. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's like the multiverse within all of our consciousness, you know, <laughs> that's the interesting part that it's like, how much of this, is this all a simulation? Is Evelyn just hooked up to like a VR headset or something like that? I mean, yeah. Or is she just having a dream? That would be the worst ending. Of it. <laughs> the worst she ending. just wakes up and it's just no, like, no, it's an excellent two and a half hours and just ruin it with that. <laughs> No payoff. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, Michael, what was it like watching it sitting next to your parents? You know, I thought I was a little bit worried beforehand that it might be uncomfortable. Mm. And I think the, the interesting thing, too, is that you mentioned that this there are details here that are relatable for an Asian American, like or at least an immigrant mm-hmm. American audience. That there are, there are a lot of scenes and a lot of important details story-wise in that movie that, that stem from... Evelyn's character making a choice to stay or stay in China or, or go to America or have kids or start a business in America, those kinds of things. So, I, I mean, and, and like you mentioned before, a lot of if a lot of if not the entire movie is, is about really about parent child relationship mm-hmm. and specifically a child's relationship to their parents who immigrated to the United States and, you know, the cultural rift that that might might create. Mm-hmm. Um so, I mean, I think just the, the parental relationship aspect was a little bit, maybe a little bit nervous going in. But mm-hmm. I, I think the other thing, too, is as much as I could see myself in these Asian characters, Asian American characters on screen, I don't know how much I connected personally to the details of their lives, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, as far as an immigrant story goes, I, I think there's probably more differences between my life and those characters than there are similarities. You know, I, I think it's, you know, one of my parents immigrated here and the other one was you know their family has lived in the united states for generations so i i think that that part of it the american-born chinese part of it isn't really part of the movie Mm -hmm. yeah and i think for me personally that's more what i can relate to at least the way that i was raised you know at least if there are any conflicts that i have with my parents it's not uh due to some sort of uh language barrier or cultural barrier from Mm -hmm. you know an american lifestyle you know i feel like I I don't want to speak for all of us, but I feel like you know I've lived a pretty American yes. childhood upbringing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you know, I think w- once I realized that 
you know, I don't have to see myself in this story exactly. I can still take something away from it if I don't relate 100% to what's going on in the movie. I think that understanding was a little bit more reassuring that, you know, I don't have to relate to all the trauma or the conflict that's going on in this. This isn't something I have to worry about. You know, it's going <laughs> to it's going to hit too close to home or something. But if but if it does, I think that that's that can be a good thing. Too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it'd be very different if we our generation was first generation on both sides and mm-hmm. these themes and kind of these issues may have hit a little bit harder but I think yeah with that in mind like it could have been yeah I wonder what the choice was to have it be you know an Asian cast if it was to tie in the Kung Fu because the story could have worked with any American immigrant family so I don't know have have either of you read anything about that choice or you know anything I'm not sure one of the writers and producers right is Asian American Mm mm-hmm yeah, I think the the it's a writing directing duo, and one of them I, I assume is is Asian American, the other one's white. Mm-hmm. But part of me suspects that I, I think again this theory that maybe Joy's character, the daughter, is part partly the focus of the movie is maybe coming from the writer director's perspective. I, I don't think that they have children, so mm-hmm. it's probably more their mm-hmm. them telling a story about their relationship with their parents. But part of me also thinks that. Maybe it is so Asian, Asian American, just because they, you know, you really want Michelle Yeoh to hit one out of the ballpark with this thing. I mean, she's like perfect. That's enough of a reason. Perfect for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like a, a chance for her to to really show what she can do and has been able to do for for decades. Yeah. Right. So part of me suspects that it's mostly just a showcase for Michelle Yeoh. It was like, we have a loose concept that we want to make a multiverse movie with Michelle Yeoh. Okay, now let's write it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that's an, that's really, I've never, I had never thought that. And I think maybe because I didn't play, pay very close attention to the credits either about the, the movie being from Joy's perspective. Because then I think that adds such an interesting lens to it of, that the movie we think is about Evelyn trying to understand Joy. But if it's told from Joy's perspective, then the entire movie is really about her trying to understand her mom or to help her mom understand herself. Yeah, I, I think it could be the same. The same. It could be the same both ways. They're just trying to understand each other and mm-hmm. in the process trying to understand themselves. And I think that's really what empathy is, right? Yeah. So I, I I think that makes sense. But I, you know, I think I, I think you're all probably also right that as the instigating agent, instigating character for everything that happens in the movie, Joy is at least in that narrative sense the the primary right. focus, or could right. be the primary focus. Because mm-hmm. she's not even really the antagonist. Because I feel like things were already progressing in the story that were disruptive before <laughs> before. Mm-hmm. Was it jo- Jobu, Jobu Tabaki? <laughs> Jobu Tabaki. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna watch it again tomorrow, and I'm gonna be like, oh my god, I missed all of these things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I think the Rakakuni. question of, of whether she's an antagonist and or like a villain, I, I think is an interesting one because there's a point in the movie, and this this is where we might be getting into spoiler territory. Oh, this where, is all spoilers. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, she, you know, throughout the movie, you think she's trying to kill Michelle Yeoh's character, kill Evelyn's character. Mm-hmm. Joy is trying, or Jobu Tabaki, Tabaki, her, you know, evil version of her is trying to kill Evelyn. But 
I think there's a point in the movie when, when you come to realize and she explains that she's not trying to kill her. She's just trying to get her to understand and mm-hmm. feel what she's going through so that they can experience the same things. Mm-hmm. Even if that means that both of them die. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I think I think her, her goal as a potential antagonist is just to get the other character to understand. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. she brings yeah. her to go look at that bagel, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like in the multiverses she is Jobu Tabaki is trying to get Evelyn to understand herself, but then in like I guess the real world, if there is one where the family's operating the laundromat and throwing the party from Gungung and all of that drama is really joy trying to get Evelyn to understand her as a daughter. So I kind of see that split now. I'm, I'm getting it, guys. <laughs> I, I understand. Oh, oh, that's what that movie was about? It's a, wait, it's a multiverse movie? Oh, I didn't know that. What the heck? <laughs> wait, which movie are we talking about? We're not talking about Crouching Tiger anymore? We're talking about Fast and Furious 9. Oh, that's right, with Michelle Yeoh. Yeah, with Vin Diesel. Yes. <laughs> oh, Michelle Yeoh in a Fast and the Furious movie? We got to manifest that. Yeah. yeah. We have set it into the universe, so it's it'll going ha- to happen. It'll happen. Yeah. Yeah, but I think that that's interesting, though, that, you know, it, it, it's, it's not, a, it's about getting her to understand. And I think that when they were talking about why that Evelyn is the Evelyn, and Wayman's <laughs> a lot of backhanded compliments of, well, you're the worst one. <laughs> you're, you're, you're the worst timeline, right? Like you're so adjacent to things that could have been done. And so you're you're basically the version where you didn't do anything, where you didn't make any decisions to do anything. And I feel like Joy is looking for that version of her mom because Joy, even though much younger, probably feels like that herself, right? Of like, I feel like I'm stuck. Because I don't even remember what Joy's background was as far as like, was she supposed to be working? She was in a relationship. But I feel like her her parents' comments to her, her mom's comments to her were always about like her, her being kind of floating and mm-hmm. aimless. Yeah, I, I, do think, I do think that's part of it because it, it might be that Joy's character, even if she doesn't personally feel like she hasn't accomplished anything, at least her mom and maybe other people in her life, that's what they think, that yeah. she hasn't accomplished anything. Yeah. But I, I think what it really comes down to is that Evelyn, the mom, doesn't think that her daughter has accomplished what her expectation is for her daughter, mm. right? You know, I think I think there's a part at the end where Evelyn confronts Joy and says, you know, it's it's true that you're, you know, you're, I'm, I'm upset that you dropped out of college and that you're getting too fat and you're not eating healthy and you have tattoos, even though I think, you know, you say that it's to mm-hmm. honor your family, family, but you know that I hate tattoos. And mm-hmm. it's like, you never call me unless you need something. And even though we have a family plan and it's free for you to do this. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's a, the kind of thing where that, that character feels a pressure of not accomplishing at least what other people expect her to be accomplishing. And I think that feeling might feel like you haven't done anything or that you feel mm. useless. Mm. And I, I, you know, I think that that's something that they directly say about Michelle Yeoh's character about Evelyn is that she's great because she's so good. She's the perfect candidate to save the multiverse because she's so bad at everything. <laughs> yeah. And, and the fact that she's so bad at everything is, is an indication that she can do whatever she wants. Mm. She could do whatever she wants or she's capable of doing everything or at least pushing other people to be capable of doing whatever they want. 
Yeah, and I wonder if Joy is the protagonist who's kind of taking Evelyn through this this journey, right, for, for herself, is to show that you might think that you're useless and you might think that I'm useless, but actually neither of us are. And that actually, like, we are both capable of infinite things if we do them. But it's yeah. I think that it's probably a pressure of Michelle Yeoh feeling like this, or Evelyn's character feeling like, oh, this life of regret of, oh, I just run this laundromat, with this failing laundromat with my family. But she doesn't look at all the things that she has actually done in her life and all the things that she's built. And so maybe going through that and saying, oh, well, you're the worst one, but it's like, but actually look how much you have, right? And that it's, it's, it's the worst one by whose terms, you know? And so, so yeah, I think it's, it's probably a lesson of empathy too, of just like, you might always, everybody always thinks that they're the worst one probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I, I, I do think you get that connection between all of the character, all of the family members in that, you know, Waymond, Ki Hoi Kwan's character is who, who's the husband, Evelyn's husband. I think he's just trying to have this connection where, you know, I just want you to be happy. And mm-hmm. the way that I accomplish that is by showing how much I, I care about you by being kind. Uh, and I, I, you know, I think that's a realization that those two characters, Evelyn and Wayman, have later in the movie. And then even for the, the Gung Gung character, James Hong's character, like he's kind of on the sidelines for most of the movie. But his his big revelation at the end is him accepting accepting joy mm-hmm. for being not the ideal Chinese or Chinese American daughter, accepting her for who she is and who who she's chosen to have in her life, and also accepting Evelyn, his his daughter, as this, the same thing. So you know, I I think that that is a lot of a lot of it is that 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 connection, understanding somebody else, and a, a accepting them for who they are, uh, even if that's includes their failures. Mm-hmm. Um, Not trying yeah, to I, change I, I, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. Or, or you know, giving them the space to to leave even if they if they mm-hmm. if they need to do that for themselves, but yeah. keeping your arms open and, and showing them the they're always welcome in your life mm-hmm. i think i think that's another thing you mm-hmm. know, I, I i don't know i can't remember what the, the topic was that we were talking about <laughs> specifically here but like, these are all, all just ideas that are kind of boiling out of my head right now yeah. everything everywhere all at once <laughs> yeah it's almost like like the evolution of the movie it's like not just seeing the people that you love and then love you that are your family for just what they you know, what they have done or haven't done in life or just these kind of like tactical things like a laundromat or you were the reason why I left my hometown and my parents and now my parents hate me and this is like the thing I'm trapped in. Like seeing the actual people and understanding them and even like a character like the Gungung, like he's a terrible character, but he comes around in the end. And I don't know, maybe they could have spent some more time kind of, outlining the development and that change in him. I feel like that was a little bit sudden now that I think about it. But I mean, that's a that's a big theme because he is like the oldest generation in that movie and and enjoys relationship with her girlfriend is something that like Evelyn is actively trying to hide from Gungung since the beginning and then it kind of just comes around. Remind me, does Evelyn say introduce her as a girlfriend in the end or I forget how that one comes about. At the end, it's kind of like a circular thing when Evelyn first tries to introduce her girlfriend Mm -hmm. to Gung Gung. The mom, I think, describes her as a a, a very good good friend friend, or a very close friend. And it 
immediately upsets Evelyn or uh, upsets the daughter Joy mm-hmm. and then l- later in the movie it kind of comes full circle where Evelyn Jesus. explains to Gun going this this is Joy's girlfriend yeah yeah I kind of wonder if the quick turnaround of her of him accepting that relationship was was that was it just an expectation that he was going to be disapproving I I think so you know and so was it like yeah. it was just built up in both Joy and Evelyn's heads that this is something that you cannot talk to him about. And and maybe well, that was... at least Evelyn's head. At least Evelyn's head. Yeah. And I'm yeah, sure that put, put it into Joy's head of that, mm-hmm. no, don't don't tell him this these things. It's bad for his health or whatever. And so I'm sure that, I'm sure that has in, affected, obviously, because otherwise Joy would just tell him. But I'm sure that she has been raised of like, no, you need to be <laughs> considerate of his state. <laughs> and maybe part of his character, you know, the, the alpha one, who is like a badass and wheeling around and kind of a villain. But maybe that it's like, you know, they kind of underestimate him as a person in Mm. their universe too. They see him as this fragile, senile, conservative person who would not Mm -hmm. be accepting of these things. And maybe that's just their perception of him. Mm -hmm. And I think with Evelyn too, I mean, it was clear that he had pressured her her whole life. For to do very either specific things or to really, really excel and achieve in very, very specific ways. But I, I think also maybe Evelyn came to a realization where it was like, well, that's his expectations of me and him being disappointed in me for not meeting those expectations has nothing to do with me. You know, and to, to sort of free herself from that a little bit. And so mm-hmm. I, I think maybe like maybe he also had some reflection that, you know, I've expected all of these things, but is that is that fair? Why did I expect these things from them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's interesting. That that kind of generational conflict is is like an unspoken thing. Mm-hmm. It's it's an assumption that yes. somebody's going to be upset but without even approaching the subject with them directly. That, that's interesting because I, I think it is something where that that Gung Gung character is kind of pushed on the sidelines for so much of the movie, and he's just mm-hmm. kind of set dressing for so much of the movie. And I, I think he feels like he's kind of he can't do anything or contribute anything to the the the, the plot. So when he does become alpha alpha gung gung mm-hmm. and, and starts showing some agency, it's like a, it's kind of a surprise. But maybe that's what it's trying to say about that kind of relationship with you know an elder who might not talk a lot or who you might not talk to a lot. It's like yeah. maybe you should try talking to them about this. Yeah. You'd be surprised. You know they might not react the way that you think, or it might take some encouragement. But you can get them to understand what your life is like and that you know that, that gap that generational gap isn't as big as you might think it is yeah and i mean you know i always think about how how much the world has changed during our lifetime but then i think about how different the world was like looking at old pictures of you know our parents in the 50s and 60s and then their mm-hmm. parents before them and it's like wow they the pace of change was even more drastic and so this assumption yeah. that older generations are not going to be able to adapt to things, it's like, well, they have been doing it, <laughs> right. you know, and like more so than I think people probably give them credit for. And especially the elder generation of like, they've lived long lives and seen way more shit than we have. But we just chalk it up to like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, don't bother them. Well, maybe they want to be bothered. <laughs> maybe, right. yeah. maybe they want some engagement here. Maybe, yeah, they... maybe they have something to say about it. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. So I guess since you guys have both watched it multiple times, how was seeing it multiple times? Did you um, notice anything different each time? 
for me, the second time was really interesting because I had a grip on the storyline and the concept and everything. So I didn't spend as much energy trying to figure that out. And I was able to appreciate all of the little details and all of the humor, I feel like to its full extent. So it was just, it was really, really fun the second time around. And yeah, I enjoyed it just as much, if not a little bit more, because there are just little things that popped out that I appreciated. And it still felt like, like, there's so much about that movie is that's unlike anything I've ever seen that it still felt very, like I was seeing a different movie the second time, even though I'd seen it before. So I thought that was really cool. And and I think the second time too, I noticed just how good the acting was, Mm -hmm. which I really appreciated. So I would also recommend seeing it multiple times if you're able to. <laughs> yeah, just just watch all of all of the showings back to back. Yeah, just, <laughs> just three yeah, just in a mo- row. Watch yeah. it multiple times at the same time. At the That's same the time, yeah, all at once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think I was in the kind of the same situation because the movie can be kind of confusing or complex. But I think once I knew what the general plot was what the general story was and i was familiar with the characters watching it again i could appreciate the acting and some of the stylistic choices and uh, you know all the other details of the movie i, I th- the interesting thing though watching it the first two times because the first time i saw it was like an early screening and it was packed there were a ton of people there and i just remember having this feeling of like being excited from the moment that the title card came up to like feeling this like buzz in my chest, just from being excited watching this movie and being around so many people. And then I think the second time I saw it, I I felt the same thing too. It was like Mm -hmm. watching it again for the first time. And I think part of that reason was because I saw it with you, you, Emily, Mm -hmm. and all of all four of our parents were were there too. So that was like a a completely different experience. But yeah, I, I loved it. I loved it each time that I saw it. Yeah. What was this last time like for you? I was the only person in the theater. Um, <laughs> it was like a, a weekday late afternoon, but yeah, it was it was great. I could just really, you know, no distractions, focus in on all the nuances of the, the characters and the acting, and it, it was still great. I, I still loved it. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing it again. Maybe I'll do that tomorrow as some mid afternoon matinee showing. Sit in the theater by myself and cry and let it wash all over me again. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, do you, was there any references, especially for you, Michael, since you've seen so many movies, like, were there any notable references or allusions to things that you picked up on? I, I really can't recall that level of detail after the first yeah, watch, so. There's probably just too much to, to pick all of them out. I mean, the, the the big ones, I think, that jumped out to me, I think the beginning of the movie, where things start getting a little nutty, I think that's probably like a direct call back to the matrix when you know like neo's scrambling around in his office and and uh, morpheus mm. is telling him what to do on the yeah. phone and giving him instructions i think that's probably a direct reference to that and then stylistically visually i, I know a lot of the alternate universe scenes where michelle Yeoh is like a movie star a, a kung fu actor a movie star her interacting with uh waymond ki kwan's character but in a universe where they did not get married and move to America. Mm. A lot of those scenes stylistically and visually is is a, an homage to Wong Kar Wai. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think specifically in the mood for love. That, that was kind of exciting to see for me. But I mean, there's just so, so many things that are probably direct references to other movies that I haven't seen or just, you know, too quick to, to pick up on. But yeah. I think it's one of those things where there's just so many details that it, it really does reward repeat watchings. Because mm-hmm. even if you don't, 
understand a reference or you don't pick up on something as a reference, like it's still a little detail there that's like a weird quirk of the movie mm-hmm. just standing out all out. on its own, you know. Yeah. I, I think that, that it's a sort of movie that is just so textured. It's hard it's hard to take in all at once. Yeah, it's like it's the most thoughtful movie, but it's so many thoughts. <laughs> it's like thoughtful to, and chaotic. Yes, to catch yeah. all of the thoughts. But, one but of then the... again, like a lot of the thoughts thoughts are just really dumb. Like, yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. You know, either just like really crude visual gags or like an ongoing uh, ratatouille <laughs> joke. <laughs> I loved all that though, because I, I mean, I think without those moments in the movie like to have that type of laughter to kind of like pull you out of it for a moment was really important to me and the second time around even though I could anticipate some of those things like I think I was laughing harder than the first time just because I was just so I was paying so much attention to those details (laughs) it did remind me a lot of the references it kind of reminded me of Rick and Morty Oh, yeah. With the multi, yeah. you know, the interdimensional cable, <laughs> where <laughs> yeah. the jokes feel very loose and sort of like, and it's like things are are you know dildos and things are dick shaped and butt plugs because they can. So <laughs> yeah, it, it's just like a dumb weird detail that they're gonna use so often that it becomes a joke or that it even becomes integral to the plot of the, of yes. the movie of the story that they're telling. But yeah. it doesn't. You know, something as stupid as a trophy that looks like a butt plug that's like in one of the first scenes in the movie, just in the background. <laughs> and I mean, I think that uh, what what it's kind of like the rule of you can't introduce a gun if it's not going to be fired, right? Like you can't, if, if you introduce a gun in a book, it's going to be fired at some point yeah, in that. Che- Chekhov's gun. Yeah, right? So it's Chekhov's butt plug, right? It's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be, must be used. But yeah, it was like, maybe it was also the Daniels, the writers, directors, you know, let, let's make Michelle Yeoh fight with a dildo in her hand. Like, <laughs> that, that can be something too, of like, you yeah, have she, the opportunity to do anything, so do it. She's, she's had such a long and storied yeah. career, but I bet this is something she's never done before. Yes, yes. <laughs> that was just the list. It was like, what hasn't she done yet? How and how do we get her to in? do that? Yeah. Yeah, I'll have to I'll have to watch multiple times again, take notes of like, was that an allusion to this? And it's like, mm-hmm. no, never, ever going to catch everything. Maybe when the director's commentary comes out. Actually. Yeah, I, I would love to listen to that. I, I think I have a, a question for for you guys. I think as far as the the details and references in this movie go, are there things that you thought you could relate to personally as like Asian or Asian American references that maybe a, a more general audience wouldn't pick up on or wouldn't mm-hmm. get the joke that they're trying to tell? Because because the first time I saw this movie, I think I was probably like one of two or three Asian people in this audience mm. of like 200 people. So, and you know, so I, I maybe caught myself laughing at things that people might not have thought was funny or amusing. Yeah. I think for me, it was mostly the dialogue. Like in the beginning when Michelle Yeoh says, you, you're getting fat, you need to start eating healthy. <laughs> I, I mean, the, it's not something that I've heard personally, but I like wouldn't put it past <laughs> our family saying that like, Maybe not directly to somebody, but about somebody. Yeah, mostly the dialogue. I felt like, you know, those things have happened. And then like when the mom introduces uh, Becky as a good friend, I was like, yeah, that, that I've heard that happen. I don't know. Anything for you, Emmy? I think, well, I loved Michelle Yeoh's outfit of the vest mm. and the floral shirt yeah. and the rolly cart. But I think that the the joke about Raka Cooney and then her not being able to be to pronounce Jabu Tabaki 
And um, and Wayman and Joy, especially Joy, very like lovingly making fun of her for that. You know, like, mm-hmm. are you talking about Ratatouille? I felt like that was <laughs> maybe not Asian American, but like I think that relationship of the the zero generation and then first generation mm. of the sort of verbal or those like colloquialisms mm. or mispronunciations of things where it's very it's very charming. To me. I mean, I feel like it, 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 that family dynamic, that felt kind of Asian-American to me. Mm-hmm. I'm just like... Yeah, I, I think there's a, a bit of dialogue early in the movie where Evelyn is is mixing up her he-she. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, yeah, that that I, I, I could relate to. You know, yeah. That's something that uh, I've heard happen before in, in our family. But it, it's not presented in a way that's like making fun of her or anything. It just, you know, this happens and they... Mm-hmm. You know, she explains why. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a reasonable explanation. It's yeah. like, we don't have a word. There's not, there's not two words for this, that, this thing that I'm trying to express. And I really appreciated them having her say that, too, because I kind of wonder that unless you are familiar with the Chinese language, that you understand that, that it's like, this is why somebody often mistakes he and she. It's because they only have one word. It's mm-hmm. a genderless pronoun. Right. And and that it's not trying to be offensive or it's not a slight if they misgender you. It's usually right. not intentional, nev- almost never intentional. So, yeah, I appreciated them clarifying that because it is going to reach a larger audience than just Asian, Asian Americans. So mm-hmm. hope, yeah. uh, if anybody learned something from that, then that's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Open your eyes and ears a little bit. Yeah, I think for me, as far as the language stuff goes, it's like I don't speak Chinese, but I think the fact that they refer to James Hong's character as Gung Gung was mm-hmm. very personal to me. And mm-hmm. is also why, the reason why I think Alpha Gung Gung is just like a hilarious joke, which <laughs> might not even be a joke, but to me that's very funny. Yeah. But, but I think the fact that they refer to that character as Gung Gung, I think that was probably the most culturally specific thing that I yeah. could relate to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and something that was not explained either. It was just, it is. That's, you know, right. you just accept yeah. it. That's, that's, that's what they call them. Yeah, it reminds me of, have either of you seen After Yang? No. Mm, I want to see that. Isn't it very long? It's, it's pretty short, actually. <laughs> oh. I, think. It's, it's, I think it's like less than two hours. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. One of the characters, the, the girl character in that movie refers to the android, the Chinese teacher yeah. android that they have. She refers to him as Gogo. Oh, and that to me so was like cute. and again that's another thing that they don't explain in the movie but yeah. to me that was like very personal like yeah. you know i like almost started crying as soon as i realized <laughs> she was calling in that because i remember keely you when you were little i think mom and dad made you call me Gogo for like a very I brief period of time yeah maybe they tried to get me to i think they, I just don't refer- they probably just referred to you as Gogo. yeah when saying like, I, hey you know give this to Gogo. yeah and i remember probably just because i was a little older when that would be used, like Popo and Gungung would refer to you as right. Gogo yeah. when they were talking to me or talking to us. Yeah, it's like how my kids are baby for the baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so whenever they hear that in a movie when they're older, they'll be like, oh my God. Oh, it's, it's oh, they're me, calling so her baby. They're calling him baby. It's just like me. It's like what I was called when I was a baby. Yes. When I was a baby. Yes. Universally oh, resident baby. <laughs> oh my God. I was a baby. I was the only baby. I thought it was just me. <laughs> I feel so seen <laughs> when I was a baby. Representation matters. <laughs> yes. 
stop baby erasure. Jeez. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, to maybe wrap it up, like, how do we think that this movie felt very groundbreaking in a lot of ways? And I would be interested to hear how you think that this might influence movies in the future. Do you think that there's going to be more of a place for this type of mashup of sci-fi and immigrant story and (laughs) family drama and... (laughs) Immigrant sci-fi is its own genre. Yes. <laughs> I would watch. I would absolutely yeah. watch. I would watch everything in there. <laughs> well, I feel like, I mean, as we discussed in like the Disney episode, it seems like there are more movies that are now kind of approaching telling the immigrant story and kind of family history and family drama in different ways. So I don't know if that's a trend or why that's happening but i mean there's definitely been multiple things along that theme in the past year so i i I don't mind that i i think it's yeah i like seeing that on screen and it's something that it's not just relatable to you know that one demographic or that one ethnic group it's i mean it's the story of human existence so how about you guys yeah i I think it's kind of a landmark for Asian-American representation in movies. I mean, because I think that's changing very quickly. And there's a lot of examples of that fairly recently. Like After Yang is a, is a mm. Ch- Chinese-American story, uh, a story about mixed-race family. I mean, Sh- Shang-Chi just came out recently. Uh, I remember when Crazy Rich Asians came out, a lot of people on, on like film Twitter were saying like, oh, this is like our Black Panther. Asian-Americans were saying, like, oh, this is our Black Panther. And I'm thinking like, I don't know what the hell this means. I certainly can't relate to anything going on in this movie, but I mean, Michelle Yeoh's in it. She rules. And ultimately I, I kind of came down kind of cool on that movie. But I think this is the, the, the mm-hmm. first thing I've seen at least recently uh, where it's a perfect example of Asian American representation in movies. Like the main actors are just mm-hmm. legends, but the story had, isn't, specifically asian american i mean there's details and and subtleties to it that are culturally specific but i don't think it's like an asian american Mm. exclusively asian american story and i think that that's a a good thing right it's that you can have a a movie that maybe the characters are are interchangeable with with other people i mean the the story would probably work just as well with with Mm -hmm. actors of different races in it but for whatever reason probably good reasons they chose to tell this the story with all Asian actors in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's, it's the kind of thing where, yeah, it resonates with me as an Asian American person. I think it resonates with a lot of other Asian American audiences, but I think it's something that everybody can, can relate to on some level. So I, I think it's a good example and a good start of a trend for movies and pop culture that, you know, you can tell this kind of story, you can show these kinds of people in it and it'll still be good the story will still be good people will still mm-hmm. show up mm-hmm. and enjoy it and you know pay money to see it i think that's a, that's a good thing you know our, our local movie theater chain here i guess is doing like a aapi history series <laughs> of movies and oh my god what were the choices that they had it was like harold uh, and kumar and... <laughs> yeah it was like some of them made sense it was like the farewell meanery and then Parasite, for some reason, is one of them. Oh, okay. Which is like, I don't think people understand that that's not an Asian American story. There's a no. difference between like an Asian movie and a movie about Asian Americans. And I think this is, I think Everything Everywhere All at Once is a perfect example of a movie yeah. that's, yeah. if not about Asian Americans, it's at least 
solidly representing Asian Americans and that, Mm -hmm. you know, those people in their lives as a as a normal thing. Yeah. And the themes and the story doesn't have to be overtly Asian or Asian American to feel that way. I thought this was such a good mix. Thank God I don't do PR for that theater chain anymore. <laughs> anymore, yeah. Maybe if you did, though, you would have helped inform a better lineup of movies. <laughs> this is why it's important to have representation in the gatekeepers. Would we have liked it as much with a non-Asian cast? No. only thing i liked about it the only thing i don't know who this movie is for not for me though this movie movie is pure tokenism a very narrow audience (laughs) but yeah i mean i think that i i don't know if i would have liked it as much i still think that i would have loved it but Mm -hmm. i don't know if i would have liked it as much just because i think that because it's set as an asian family and specifically a chinese family it is those really fine details of, you know, the, the gong gong and, mm-hmm. and understanding sort of like all of the red that they're wearing and, mm. you know, they're celebrating Chinese New Year, you know, at the laundromat mm. and stuff. And so I think that that just added a layer to it for me. But I think that I would have loved it if even if it was set in a different culture and it had mm. a lot of the same, you know, themes and messages. Yeah, yeah. I loved all of the actors mm-hmm. that made the family. So in that respect, I probably would not like it as much if it was a different cast. So Yeah, I, I think it could still be a good movie, that mm-hmm. I, but I probably wouldn't enjoy it as much. Yeah, no, I, I think I think that, you know, as much as I've been saying that it's not a specifically Asian American story, I think that, that those kinds of details count for a lot mm-hmm. in, in whether or not I'm going to enjoy something. If, you know, if I can see myself even if they're not doing things that I have experience with, life experience with, if I can see myself in these characters in some mm-hmm. way or another, I think I'm going to relate to it more more deeply. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think maybe it's, you know, when we talk about like Crazy Rich Asians, that was a, a breakthrough movie in a lot of ways of seeing yourself physically anyways, not... I, I mean, those people, are all go- <laughs> those people are all gorgeous. I don't think I look like Gemma Chan by any means. But I think that at least I think that that movie of having an all Asian cast was was definitely like the first since like Joy Luck Club, essentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't but then this wasn't being told as this like sweeping family saga. It was a rom-com. You know, and so I think that it was very much a breakthrough in that it was the first of that genre and that sort of blockbuster movie getting that much hype and it being mm-hmm. for a completely Asian cast. Yeah, I, I think I think that counts for a lot because I mean it's like there's tons of Chinese movies if yeah. you want to see movies with an all in a completely Asian cast, but I think that's a good example. Crazy Rich Asians is a good example of that kind of a movie that has an all Asian cast that has a lot of crossover appeal. Yeah, that, that and, has the ability to become a blockbuster mm-hmm. and, and appeal to a very broad audience. And I think with everything everywhere all at once, it's like where we are now, where we have progressed since Crazy Rich Asians, is that you can have this predominantly Asian cast, but have it not be set in a strictly Asian mm-hmm. movie, you know, or not, and not set in Asia either, because right. Crazy Rich Asians was still set in Singapore, and so this is very much in America and like the IRS office. And I feel like a lot of those things of 
the struggle for, you know, Michelle Yeoh and, and for, for Evelyn and for Wayman when they came over to America, I feel like that is very specific to the American experience. And so this felt, yeah, Crazy Rich Asians was definitely not an, not an Asian American movie, even though the protagonist was Asian American and it was sort of supposed to be, I guess, about that cultural tension. But that was more about money. And this was yeah. a lot more about Western and Eastern culture clash. The interpersonal relationships based on that, that culture clash rather than interpersonal relationships built on cl- class clash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cast. Yeah. <laughs> the cash cast. <laughs> all right. How do we want to wrap this thing up? Go watch everything everywhere all at once. Yeah. Yeah, go go watch it. I'm yeah. I'm a little bit worried that this movie might be. I I do think it's getting a, like a broader release now, so hopefully it's going to reach more audiences. But I'm mm-hmm. a little bit worried that it might seem too weird for mm. for most people. But I, I I think that's an easy barrier to get around once you start watching it because it is very entertaining. Yeah, and I think it is very approachable and kind of universal in, in its themes and its mm-hmm. appeal and its characters. I agree with that. Yep. But, I mean, if you've made it this far, hopefully you've seen it already. So go, go watch it, it again. again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> go watch it again and, uh, and think about it some more. <laughs> have, have either of you seen the episode of Aquafina's Nora from Queens that the directors of Everything Everywhere All at Once did? No. Is, is that the one with Su- where their Joyce, the actress who plays Joy, is yeah, in the, it? Yeah. It's a K-drama episode. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It has like a, a bunch of actors from this movie in it. So. Yeah, that's where I had Worth. first seen that that actress Stephanie Shu, and I was like, "Oh, it's Susu." <laughs> yeah, I, she, I think she's on on the verge of being a big deal. Definitely. She was so good in this. She movie. was fantastic. So yeah. good. And I listened to the, the you all listened to the episode of Less Culturistas too, where they were talking with oh, Michelle yeah. Yeoh and talking about Stephanie and stuff, and it was just like, yeah, she is she's gonna be huge. Yeah. So all right. Well, that wraps it for this special episode of Double Cuzzies, Triple Cuzzies. Triple Cuzzies. Thanks for listening. <laughs> like and subscribe. Review us and rate us wherever you can. And uh, go watch this movie again and again and again. All right. <laughs> yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks yeah. for coming on, Michael. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to Double Cuzzies, where we're cousins. And friends. But most importantly, we're family. Bye. Bye. <laughs>